Serpent Temple podcast. This is another weekly review. This week we're looking at three albums. They're going to be Mort Garson's 1976 Beauty Plantasia, followed by Inter Armour's 2019 Sulphur English, and then the new release by Danny Elfman called Big Mess, released in 2021. What did you think, Floyd, of Mort Garson? Where the fuck did you find this album? What more gossip? Uh, how did you come across this? Because this is some. I don't cool know. Shit. I think right. I found it on YouTube. I think it's yeah. one of those YouTube okay, one of those discoveries. Ones. Yeah, it's um, this is like video game music before <laughs> video game music was a thing. <laughs> Literally, it's, it is. Um, no, I enjoyed it. It's really um, it's out there. Because I remember we were saying the other week um, after reviewing Magma, you sound like I hope it wasn't too weird. And I was like, nah, nothing's too weird. But <laughs> this is weird, but in a really. Um, Kind of warm and comfortable, cozy way. Yeah. Like the entire comment section, I was just trolling through the comment section on um, YouTube, and everyone was just talking about just how how they actually use this album to kind of nurture their plants and just be meditating to it and just relaxing to it and chilling. And you listen to it, and it's like you know, because I listen to it like all in one go, and I was trying to like pick out things and trying to like you know write about different tracks and i was like fuck it i can't do it. i just got to listen to it in one go and just take it in for what it is and it's um there's some great moments in it like there's some tracks that uh that actually do sound like they're from the 70s yeah they do like um there's the swinging spatter films <laughs> it's got a bit of a nice swing to it and the intro is fucking identical to fly like an eagle by the steve miller band oh is it so i don't know if that is the moog because i know this is all performed on the moog, it's all, isn't it? all moog. yeah, yeah. And I don't know if Steve Miller uses that as well, but honestly, you listen to the intro to this track and to Fly Like an Eagle, it's got that same kind of soaring. He might really. have written it. It performed at the same time. Because um, Mort Garson actually wrote a lot of hip-hop songs. Really? He was involved in a lot of massive Hollywood and like international hits and stuff. He was like oh, a damn. big writer. And he was at a convention and he met the guy who invented the Moog. He was one of the first people to ever use it. Yeah, and this is uh, this is one of those things that he did with it. Yeah, that's super cool. It's um, yeah, it's just, just everything about this album is so happy and joyful. I done like what we done with the botanist when we reviewed that album, which was great. Um, and such a nice guy as well. Mm, like the, yeah. Um, I was uh, researching a few of the uh, plant names, and uh, one of them, the pothos. This is on the track philodendron and pothos it turns out it's very toxic to cats and dogs oh no i found out so i'll keep an eye out for that for my uh, my cat that visits me oh the pub two doors down that's really sweet is that the one from quinn's this is from a it's called the old eagle pub oh and they've got a cat called churchill that has like a batman mask oh that's so cute, Super cute. He's, he's coming and visiting more which is a surprise because we don't feed him huh. so but maybe he just likes our company I have really a cat cute. that's legit trying to, every time it comes, it tries to run into the house and move in with us. Oh, is this the one you sent me a video of? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. super cute It cat. keeps coming. Yeah. It's so beautiful. But it's yeah. like legit. Last time it was like, it, it was just trying to run through me into my house. <laughs> it's like, wait, I'm, what does doxing mean? <laughs> what does doxing mean? Uh, doxing's kind of like exposing, but it's normally used as a negative connotation, but yeah. Oh, am I doxing you? Doxing me. Yeah, Shem just messaged me saying I'm doxing Floyd. Yeah, you, you've said enough stuff about where he lives that someone could find where he lives. I don't give a shit, oh. I welcome them. 
I mean, <laughs> I would, I would, if I was a stranger on the internet, I would be terrified at the notion of turning up at Floyd's house. Godspeed to anybody that tries to rob my house. It's not an invitation, but prepare for a fucking fight. It's going to be like, I would yeah. not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, you need to get some CCTV and then sell that footage as an NFT. <laughs> oh, Although God. NFTs are bad, don't buy NFTs. Um, yeah. But yeah, Plantasia. It's an amazing, it's an amazing album. I'm actually, it's very surprising that people know about it. I don't know if you read, but it was only distributed in two ways. You couldn't just buy this album when it came out. It wasn't available in shops. The only way you could get it is if you bought a plant from Mother Earth in Los Angeles, or if you purchased a mattress, a Simmons mattress specifically from the Sears outlet. That was the only way you could get this album. I read about the, the Mother Earth then, yeah. I just thought that was so super cool because yeah. that's why this is really collectible amongst all the um, super record collectors. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a cool, cooler moniker for those people, but that's all I had. Vinyl heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's not really cool. Um, yeah, like I think basically it, it kind of got viral on YouTube around 2009, 2010, which is when I found it. Yeah. I didn't realize. I just assumed it was like released in the 70s and everyone loved it. But it just became like a kind of hidden gem and basically it got re-released, I think in like 2016, 2017 by a label. Um, that's Shit, that it, late? Yeah. Wow. It got re-released as like a proper release. You can go buy vinyls of it now. But it, that guy basically found it and was like, oh my God, this is like a hidden gem. We should totally do a repress of this. Yeah. It's, um, it's no, it's it's really cool. And um, it's got a lot of, you can tell he's great at composing music, which is something we'll be covering later on in the episode with mm-hmm. a, that bizarre Danny Elfman album. <laughs> but it's, um, but no, you can tell he's definitely got an ear for, because like, I would have thought that if you sold this to me on paper, I wouldn't have been interested. Yeah. Really, if I'm being honest. Okay. This is one album. It's music for plants and it's, you know. It's literally pre- just for plants. Yeah. Well, and plants like, and the people who love them is, is like the subtitle, but it's literally mainly for plants, this music. But it's like, but it is actually quite an interesting listen. And there's a, a fair amount going on considering how relatively bare bones it is. Yeah. There's no like percussion. No. It's literally just Moog, but there is something so warm about the music, and it, it's like it's very synesthesia-like to listen to. You just feel like green and sunlight yeah. and leaves and movement, and it's so relaxing. It's an amazing album to put on. Yeah, I'd be interested to know if the uh, the main man behind Botanist is uh, is a fan. Yeah. I was thinking this is like seventies Botanist. Yeah, yeah, it's super cool though. I really liked it. My favorite track's probably uh, Rhapsody in Green. It's got some really cool kind of like wah wah style synth moments and uh, just some cool reverb and shit. But overall, I just I just I just loved it. I thought it was quite cool. Definitely something you would put on to chill out to. I would say it was a very very chill album. Um, interestingly, Mort Garson died in two thousand and nine around then, so he never actually got to see his work get appreciated. Oh, because, so he got Van Gogh, did he? Yeah, his his Moog stuff, like this stuff, because you know it wasn't properly. He didn't like publicize it or anything. He just did it for fun and like was like, oh hey, you can give this out with your plants just for people who buy them so he i think it would have been interesting because he was pretty much known for his like pop music writing because he was a writer most of all than a than like a person who did this like solo stuff i don't know if you saw his other albums that he's done no so he actually did an album called black mass and under the moniker lucifer Oh, shit. And it's like, the cover is so cool. Yeah. The album cover is sick. It's like a pentagram 
Um, there's like another one which is like a pentagram made of like reeves. Let me find the title because it's really cool. Um, and he also did like loads on the Zodiac. So he has one called In Zodiac Cosmic Sounds, Celestial Counterpoint with Words and Music. So yeah, all these all these different things. So he's actually kind of like in a 70s way, kind of like metal <laughs> in yeah. a way. Yeah, it's... No, I mean, in, in a way that's kind of... Um, there's that argument that, you know, the metal isn't so much a sound as it is kind of a spirit. Mm. And I think, you know, there's definitely embodies an element of that. As corny as it sounds, that kind of metal spirit of just doing whatever the fuck you want. Horns up, brother. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) God. Uh, I've never thrown up horns at a gig. I can proudly say. I I can proudly say I have when I was a teenager. (laughs) I have thrown the horns. Nothing against it for those that do. It's just not for me personally. More of a a fist, man. I'm a big fan of fisting. <laughs> nice. You heard it here first. Now you know where he lives. You, is that your foot? Well, Come find me in Soho. <laughs> the red light district, but the red light is the ambulance coming, speeding <laughs> towards you after you've been. Yes. Um, so speaking uh, apart from fisting, this album is. It's really, it's really cool. Oh, this is a cool fact. I don't know if you know this, but Mort Garson's music was used as incidental music during the TV transmissions of the Apollo 11 moon landings. Oh, shit. Yeah. That is wild. It's so crazy. It's really like, yeah, it's perfect music for the moon. Apollo, is that the one where Tom Hanks landed on? The, oh, no, sorry, that's uh, Apollo 13. <laughs> that's the well. one that Stanley Kubrick directed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He admitted that on his deathbed, yeah. We're not actually that. moon deniers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe the moon exists. <laughs> I just love that the notion that he was, that it was eating him up his whole life and it was the last thing he said on his deathbed. <laughs> was it just, I just want everyone to know I directed the moon landings. I directed the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of moon, have you seen um, the film Moon? I love that film. It's so Such good. Such a fucking good film. It's so good. Film. Yeah, yeah, Duncan Jones. Um, oh my god, so good. There was this, I think she was like Hungarian that was a fortune teller who died in like 91 and she had like she made loads of predictions and some of them came true, like in a creepy, weird, like Simpsons kind of way. And she has one, I think it's for 2023. Um, and and she predicted that the secret of the moon will be revealed. What do you think the secret of the moon's gonna be? Probably a sick album. Yeah. I think it's just going to be a good... Baba Vanga, that was her name. I think there is a band called Secret of the Moon, actually. Damn, yeah. I almost nearly called the second album Secret of the Moon. Really? But the guys were like, you can't call it that, call it the other thing. Yeah. So I was really disappointed because I like that album yeah. name. But I mean, there's some people think the moon's been colonised already. Oh, by the Nazis from that film. Was it? I don't know about that, but it's... But maybe. That <laughs> terrible film, Iron Sky. I've not seen it, but it sounds bad. It's terrible, yes. <laughs> it's very bad. Um, yeah, no, I, I've... I don't. I don't think the moon's just a very good place to colonize. There's like nothing there. There's no nothing no, it's of like value. People that, people that are fucking training for this mission to Mars. I'm just like, ah, oh, fuck that. Like, why not just make the Earth better? Why don't Why don't we just yeah. make it nicer here? Just move to Dundee from the barren <laughs> wasteland. <laughs> parents are from dundee so i'm allowed to say that so, so. for a second i thought barren wasteland was like a titled person <laughs> <laughs> fucking baron von wasteland <laughs> baron von wasteland <laughs> i made an inquiry to order a bed and i like I could, it was like a really posh company so i was like oh my name is baroness dina sadie montague and they replied using that title in really? the email it was so funny oh, that's classic yeah but I like capitalised and uncapitalised certain bits of the words so it just looked really dumb and they yeah. still did that too so. I, I gotta tell this funny story Go I don't think this, this may be doxing someone who, um, <laughs> but so I'm not going to name any names or places 
used to work in this location. <laughs> and um, this guy came in who was an Arab sheikh. Nice. And he uh, wanted his purchase sent to a, a like a collection room. So he had to take his details. So, and it was me that was assisting him with his purchase. But he needed a manager to do a, um, fill out this form. We get the the stock sent for him to pick up whenever he's done. And um, and he asked for his title. So obviously his title is Shake. And he spelled it as in Shake, as in Milkshake. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but, um, oh man, that's <laughs> awesome. That is great. Sam's oh. just hyperventilating over there. <laughs> <laughs> that is the kind of thing my family would do. Yeah. Like, that's so funny. <laughs> that was such a loose segue. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't know how I got to the story, but it's funny. But... <laughs> oh, man, I'd love to be a shake. That's such a cool... I mean, I, I can't categorically, but it'd be sick. But um, can I just say, Plantage of this album, so much of this sounds so 8-bit, it's uncanny. Like, it's... It's better than 8-bit because it's kind of, like, dreamy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. This definitely had to have influenced. I, I refuse to believe that there aren't some video game music composers out there ah. who are heavily inspired by this. Well, funny you should say that because fans of The Legend of Zelda who listen to this album will recognize that there is an 8 bit tune that bears a resemblance to Concerto for Philodendron and Pophos that Garson was oh. never properly credited for, but there is enough of a, ooh, there is enough of a um, resemblance that it's almost certainly lifted, um, or he was involved in it. That, that track, the one you just mentioned, sounds like Minecraft, really sounds like Minecraft oh, at certain points. Yeah. I don't know Because they've got that whole well. kind of really chill soundtrack as well. Mm. So, yeah, I've got a note here, and even at times it reminds me of Sonic, but that's only because I've spent so much time playing Sonic games. And going to conventions. Sonic themes everywhere. Yeah. Oh, don't fucking summer, fuck Summer of Sonic. <laughs> the worst convention I've ever been to in my life. They're being called oh. out. Yeah, they're not going anymore, so I don't give a shit. That was, that was weird. I didn't know what a furry was before that. that was, a that's furry. how naive I was, yeah. You mean a furry? What did I say? Furry, furry. furry. That's what I've like got. Like a McFlurry. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so flustered at recalling this fucking oh. travesty of an event. But yeah, it was, um, oh God, horrific. Yeah, I, I would also avoid ever going... But you know, Sonic, on their third... I've got an interesting <laughs> Sonic fact. Yeah. Their third game that was released for the Mega Drive, or the... Um, it's called the Mega Drive over here. I can't remember what it's called. Sega Genesis in the States, for anybody listening in the States. It's um, apparently ripped off. Most of the soundtrack for that music was taken from famous Michael Jackson songs. No way. And they just... Because they done it... In, did, did he write it? He wrote it. He was uncredited. You shitted me. No, wow. Michael Jackson was a huge fan of Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm pretty sure it's a big open legend, yeah. God damn. Open I thought legend. they just ripped it off. Fuck. I like Sonic that term. Yeah. Sonic Free, yeah. yeah. Fuck. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a cool fact. Next time there's a convention, you can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can disseminate that information. <laughs> Keep the fairies away. Are you a fan of Michael? Yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. I was reading about plants in the 70s because that's what I like to do sometimes um, and there was basically a book that was published by the occult and former OSS agent Peter Tompkins and the former CIA agent and apparently dowsing enthusiast Christopher Bird and the book was called The Secret Life of Plants I don't know if you've heard of it no but basically in this book um, they kind of came up with all these they, there was like a lot of like fake science obviously yeah. in the book but they were like oh yeah plants can tell if you're lying and um, plants respond to music, which is like has kind of improved to an extent, yeah. I think. Anyway, um, 
And they basically <laughs> they were talking in the book. They literally said that plants can predict natural disasters, receive signals from distant galaxies, um, and like I think there was a, a bunch of like other crazy cool stuff in these books. But it kind of caused like a plant craze, especially in the states. So loads of people started buying plants, and I think that may have been a contributing factor to this this piece of music being made. Yeah, that's really super cool. Have you ever seen the film The Happening? <laughs> Bless you, Shen. <laughs> it's an M. Night Shyamalan film and the premise of it is that the the plants are releasing this toxic pheromone that's um, making people want to kill themselves, makes them suicidal Damn! so everyone around the world starts killing themselves because the plants are fighting back such a good film it's got Mark Wahlberg in it who plays like a confused Bostonite (laughs) the burger man what? (laughs) what's going on? that's not my Boston accent Boston. Boston. No. I remember I saw a tweet the other day that was hilarious, and someone was like, M. Night Shyamalan's real name is Movie Night Shyamalan. <laughs> That's so stupid, it's but so I love it. Yeah. It's just perfect. It's yeah. the perfect kind of humor. Oh, God. Oh. Tell you another cool plant fact that's been making the rounds on social media because I've read it about three times in the last two weeks. Yeah. Is that sunflowers, if they don't have access to sunlight, they turn to face each other instead. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's so romantic. Yeah, quite cool, isn't it? So. Oh, it could just be like, are they stealing each other's sun? What is that for? It's like, I have no sun. I yeah. must take you off with life force. <laughs> yeah, know. but it's, uh, yeah, plants are cool, man. I've, no, I, I will admit, I am not green-fingered at all, despite what this hoodie suggests. The <laughs> <laughs> fucking the most green hoodie in the world. But it's, um, but yeah, no, I've always found them super cool. And um, mum's a big gardener. So it's always, I uh, spent a lot of time around plants and stuff. And I think they definitely, I wouldn't go as far as to say they have feelings, but they're definitely are more responsive than I think a lot of people realise yeah. to the environment. And if you've seen like time lapses, time lapses of plants, um, it's really like they, the way they move is so interesting. How they, they respond to sunlight and their leaves uncoil and coil. And there are so many plants with like fucking crazy cool properties and stuff. Yeah, even Venus flytrap, for example, is what they were. I was obsessed with them as a kid. There's Just, a really oh go on go on go on. No, that was it. Oh, um, sorry, I, I went into Father Ted mode there as so well. I was like, go on, go on, go, go on, on, go on, go on. <laughs> There's a really cool tree in Florida. Yeah. Um, I think it's called like the man's in the tree. It's called like the man killer tree or something like that. It is so poisonous that scientists don't understand why it's so poisonous because usually plants and animals develop po- like being poisonous as um, as a like defense mechanism against like a specific thing or like um, in a, spe- a specific area like the skin or the leaves. This tree is so poisonous. Not only is the bark poisonous, the leaves are poisonous and the sap is poisonous. But if you go near the tree, the air around the tree is also poisonous. So you can't even sit. If you sit under the tree, you will fucking die. God damn. So like if you're in Florida and you see a tree that's got a sign being like, don't go near the tree, for real, don't, don't go, go near, near the, the tree. tree. Jesus. <laughs> they look terrifying as well. I think they've got like spines coming out of the bark. They just look unreal. Sounds like the bobby leafling of trees. <laughs> <laughs> for real it is. <laughs> the bobby leafling. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Bobby. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool that parts are like that crazy. Yeah, I know. It's wild shit. But yeah. um, no, this is good. I, I, to be honest, I don't really have much to say about this because it kind of just, similar to the botanist album, it kind of just washes over you. And you kind of just take it in, mm. and like it's got that in the, much in the same way as obviously it doesn't sound like the botanist album, but they both both come from that genuine place of a real connection to plants, and I feel like this album has that same thing. 
we can tell it was done. I mean, I'm fucking the, the clues in the in the fucking title it is music for plants, right? Mm. And you can tell it was written with that intention in mind, and it has that really earthy kind of homely feel about it. And it was cool. And it's like you know, it's 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 crazy. It's an electronic album as well because electronic music is not something I associate with something so natural. But yeah, it, it's 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 done well here. It's it's a very good point because I'm. As we all know, famously fussy when it comes to synthesizers <laughs> of any kind, especially music like this. Um, and if you describe this album to me, I'd be like, I will not like this album. But it legit does feel like you're being, I feel like a plant when I listen to this album. Yeah. I feel like I'm being watered. Yeah. And like, I feel, you know, you. it's really, it's like, it's not going to change your life, but it is really comforting. Yeah. There is something so comforting about this album. You just feel like you're being cuddled. Um, and there's just like leaves and you're in a beautiful garden with trees yeah. and plants so everywhere. It's just something just so pure and happy about the album. It's really nice. Apparently when Mort Garson was composing, um, his wife would be in like the other room. And if he had a good idea, his wife would be like, that's a really good idea. Oh, and they just like, it's just so sweet. It's so wholesome. wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really nice. I think his daughter survives him and his, and, and her mother. So, um, yeah, I think she's just, she said that she's really happy that his work, this kind, this part of his work has gained recognition. Yeah, that's good. And I mean, by the sounds of it, I know I refer to him as being kind of Van Gogh, but it sounds like he had a lot of success in his other mm-hmm. ventures and stuff. Like he was a widely renowned and respected man. So, you know, at least he was recognised for something, even though he didn't really get to see the this takeoff. Yeah, I, I actually I didn't bother writing down all the hits he's been involved in because there's like a whole paragraph. Yeah. Of like really, fa- I didn't recognise a lot of the singers. An artist, because like I don't know that part of music. It's like I think American pop from literally the sixties and seventies. So yeah, I don't yeah. know anyone. So I didn't write anything down. So if I don't know, probably other people don't know. And, and that sounds really up myself. I don't know a lot, but like I probably people wouldn't find it interesting. Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't know. But I mean, um, that's on Wikipedia if you want to find out, right? Yeah, go on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah you'll find it. It's Mort Garson is a fascinating figure. He has other other bits of music, like the Black Mass Lucifer is really interesting. It's literally like occult electronic music from the 70s. That's wild. I've got to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's sick. It's really cool. And yeah, he's got the Zodiac one as well. So that's going to be interesting if you're into that kind of thing. And the covers are beautiful. They're just literally like like green lung in the 70s in a way. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, and I'd be looking forward to watching Green Line at Bloodstock yeah. this month. Hell yeah. And they just got uh, they got featured in The Guardian. They've got a full page. Oh, no way. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm really nice. happy that, you know, oh, more metal's getting into The Guardian, especially British metal. Yeah. yeah. It seems quite alive and well, I think. I think there's a lot of good bands coming up. We're going to be all right. We've got some good good eggs in the scene. So shall we go on to something not British? Um, <laughs> but it's called Sulfur English. Oh, yeah, do I do that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Into Armour, Sulfur English 2019. Yeah. Um, so we've got Into Armour here. So the band from Richmond, Virginia. So from the same state as uh, esteemed bands, Squaw, Alabama. Alab- 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've been, <laughs> I got. I got to explain this. I've been gearing myself up to pronounce this band name right. Cause the fucking. It's the. You've heard of this band before, right? Alabama Thunder Pussy. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard of them. Yeah, so I was thinking, okay. Alibaba. <laughs> Alibaba. The. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and of course, Lamb of God as well. So they've got quite a rich scene. They've got T T J Childers, who's plays drums, percussion, guitars. 
got listed here electric acoustic lap steel as well as bass keyboards noise and vocals so i think he is the, he the driving everything. force behind the project yeah yeah he he's been he's done some cool stuff in other projects too i don't know if you saw but he's he's um played live bass in Windhand. Yeah. And he's also guested on, has he guested with Windhand? He did keyboard on Windhand's reflection of the negative split with Cough as well. Sorry, yeah. You've got Stephen Russell on guitars, Trey Dalton on guitars, percussion and vocals, Mike Paparo, Paparo on vocals, percussion, and then Joe Kirkus, who was the bass player at the time. Um, mm -hmm. Cool thing is they've had a pretty steady lineup. They've had a few different bass players but it's always been the core members of this band throughout most of their uh, tenure and also um verdant related everyone i think pretty much except childers when the band formed came from a band called bastard sapling who were also very good they were like a black metal band weren't they yeah mm. yeah so that's interesting go check them out they have some pretty sick tunes uh and this album i am a massive fan of i love inter armor as a group to me, they remind me, not so much sonically, but just more so in the impact they've made on the scene of a band like Gorguts. And what I mean by that is Gorguts have always done what the fuck they wanted and never been confined by any sort of genre boundaries. And Interarmor are kind of the same. You listen to each album, it's all got different flavors. It's like you've got a lot of post-metal and a lot of the earlier stuff, a lot more Southern, that Southern kind of sort of influence in a lot of the riffs. And whereas this album in particular, it's like I could talk about their discography a lot, but this album is definitely the most aggressive album and kind of leaning more in towards the sort of death metal leanings mm -hmm. of previous materials. And like there's some riffs on here that are like straight out of like domination era Morbid Angel. Like one of the tracks, uh, second track, uh, Citadel, really, really reminds me of um, Domination Era Morbid Angel and there's a riff that comes in about four minutes in that is fucking huge. Like it is one of the most moshable, groovy fucking riffs I've personally heard in the last sort of 10 years or so. So I've got massive love for this album. Um, there's, there's a lot to take in. That the, the albums are long, which I think mm -hmm. is... Yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there and I don't know if there's any correlation between this, but I feel like that kind of maybe stop some bands reaching the next kind of level of stratosphere. Because I think there is a lot of people that listen to music that will just not listen to anything that exceeds an hour. It's what, an hour and 17? Hour and 19? Uh, hour and six. Hour so. and six, okay. Yeah, which isn't it's like... two you know, sides of vinyl. Yeah, no, not yeah. the longest fucking album in the world. But like, I do think there's a lot of people out there that just don't give a band the time of day. And mm. I used to feel a bit like that towards Neurosis because I felt like Neurosis' material was quite overly long and I didn't realize that that was part of the charm you know it's quite tribal and it you know there's a crescendo same with bands like Cult of Luna as well when you got like 12 minute 15 minute long songs you know it's I think you have to break that threshold to get through to it Shem is eating a Yorkie bar right now and it's the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life <laughs> yeah I, I, I didn't notice it until I saw you glanced <laughs> towards him Shem glanced to me like he was, he was like oh no <laughs> this is eating this Yorkie bar at the most like tentative <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> remember, that, remember the whole campaign about not being for women? Oh, for it's not I, for girls. I used to buy them from the tuck shop at school because they're the most chocolate you can get for the least amount of money. So I used yeah. to, you could buy one for a pound. And I used to buy them, and the boys were like, oh, you can't eat that. It's not for girls. And then they had the one for girls, and it was not as nice. Yeah. So what's the fuck? Like, who, why did they have to genderize chocolate? Like, fuck <laughs> off. It's fucking fu chocolate. Yeah, that was, that was odd. 
Yeah, it was a bit weird. I think it's, is it still like that? Does it still have like the, the girl symbol with the, it's got like a stop sign of a girl behind it. It's so sexist. Have they taken it away? Yeah. I think surely they've taken it away by now, right? For I should hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like the most ridiculous branding ever. Yeah, anyway. But um yeah, what a fantastic album. Um was this your first time listening to it or you No, I well, the, the album, yes. I've yep. listened to Into Armor before. They kind of come on my Spotify and I'm like, "Oh, this band's great, but I've never properly listened to a whole album by them." Yeah. So it was really cool to actually like experience the album from start to finish because I do feel like this is an albumy band. Oh, 100%. Mm. Yeah, no, it's um like the whole album itself is a journey and you know, I think even the way it's constructed is really good. They've got the um, the track pretty much bang in the middle of the album, Stillness, yeah. which is, you know, like obviously a bit of a reprieve from the really sort of cavernous and claustrophobic extreme metal that is kind of prominent on the entirety of the album. So it's good to get that breathing space. And I think that was probably a conscious decision to place this in the middle of the album. And, you know, and I think it's quite a welcome reprieve when you've got, you know, an, an hour of crushing sonic sludge. <laughs> yeah. So, um I, that was my favorite track as well. It's a great track. And, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of times um, you kind of hear this more, I would say, in more traditional death metal. Because, I mean, I wouldn't label I, I think Inter Armour are very hard bands to label. And I think music should be hard to label because, you know, I think too many times people are too busy trying to pigeonhole everything. But it's a classic thing in death metal where you have like a really shitty, lazy acoustic interlude just to break up the album and it's always really shit and boring it's just like why do you even fucking bother man just just like just give me the fucking i would have rather just as the 40 minutes of blast beats than you to try and break up the album with this monotone shit is that what machine head did on through the ashes of was it through the ashes of empire is that why people hated that album okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna go on a bit of a machine head just tirade right here oh, so yes. let's so, do it okay go so on, okay the thing is <laughs> well one he, he, rob is cringy as fuck <laughs> He is pretty cringe, that. man. Yeah. And, and that slam poetry thing was god-awful. And like, the, uh, the thing that put me off Machine Head was like, oh, he was like, I don't want to go to Turkey because I'm scared of terrorists. Yeah. It's like, Turkey oh, is yeah. like barely the Middle East, mate. Like, you're not going to get fucking blown up in Turkey. You're not going to Syria, are you? No. Yeah, yeah, nah, it's fucking, yeah. <laughs> the thing about them is, I think Shem will probably back me up on this yes. as well. Is And I think you will as well. They're such, to me, they've always come across like such fucking bandwagon yeah. hoppers. Do you know what I mean? Like, they... Ca- Not they- always. Well, the thing is, the first album, Burn My Eyes, right? That's touted as quite a classic album. Understandably so, because they were kind of like carving their own niche out of that kind of groovy thrash then that was big at the time. New Metal came around, and they said, oh, let's jump onto the New Metal bandwagon. They did that to catastrophic effect. <laughs> then, once New Metal died on its ass. Um, the whole new wave of American heavy metal was becoming prominent with bands like Killswitch, Lamb of God, and I suppose you could trivia them as well. And all of a sudden, this was when Through the Ashes of the Empire came out. Oh, right. So that was about 2003, four. so like the turn of the millennium when when that sort of um, Gothenburg-installed metalcore was becoming quite prominent. And then they became like an actual proper metal band again. Say proper, not like new metal isn't proper metal, because I actually do like new metal, but... um, 
but it's uh, that was the bastard son for the longest time. <laughs> Remember when it was uncool to like new metal? Like you would be fucking cold out at a show. I, mean, you, I think it's still the same. <laughs> I think it, if you, I think if you look like you enjoy new metal, you're gonna be bullied, right? Because you'll be wearing the big the big trousers. I think it's kind of cool, and not maybe not cool to like it, but it's kind of making a comeback because it's so old it's now okay. that it's nostalgic for a lot of people. You know what? I think people have got to the age where they don't care about how they look anymore to yeah. other people. So it's yeah. like, yeah, fuck it, I'll enjoy whatever band I like. You know, I don't care what people like to be judged. It's not like that scene in Laws of Chaos where it's like, is that a scorpion's patch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's true. But yeah, that, that's, that's all I'll say on the matter. But yeah, I just feel like they just jump on the bandwagon too much and just never been a big fan of Machine Head, really. I'll just never forget the fact that Rob Flynn flexed about the fact that he had diarrhea. So he wore a nappy, an adult nappy on stage while he sang and continuously shat himself for the whole set, which uh, is, like, vaguely impressive and dedicated, but also, like, wow. I reckon he's into something like that. He Maybe he's... Oh, do you sure. think he's a nappy guy? Maybe. Hmm. <laughs> Paul, Serpent Temple Paul, is Rob Flynn a baby fetishist nappy guy? Do you think he's... Maybe we could just... just... <laughs> <laughs> Never having him on the podcast, probably, after oh, this. God. But, yeah, God damn. Yeah, I mean... No, I mean Nothing personal against the guy. Just never been a fan of Machine Head. Well, apparently he also homophobically, homophobically took the piss out of Kerry King for wearing arseless leather chaps, which, if, in my opinion, is fucking sick that Kerry King would do that. I yeah. actually respect Kerry King more, knowing that he wore arseless leather chaps. Cause, oh, I wonder if he had those same shitty same tribal tattoos, tattoos on his on head his that he does on his cheeks, yeah. Oh, my God, that would actually look really cool, to <laughs> yeah, be fair. Nah, nah. And it would hurt like a bitch to have that. You seen that clip of Kerry King trying to play like a Slayer song like five times and he just can't. I think I have. It's yeah. painfully sad. Yeah, it's bad. All right, I'm going to stop trashing these iconic uh, bands. <laughs> um, <laughs> Inter Armour, I fucking love this album. Great album. Um, oh, just so much to it. I really like, um, I really like the title track, mm. Sulfur English. That's got, it really reminds me of kind of that really um, dissonant, discordant kind of furious death metal um similar to a band like ulcerate if you ever listen to ulcerate the new zealand technical death metal band and i like these technical death metal bands that use their technicality to kind of they use it to convey atmosphere as opposed to just virtuosic sort of skill mm -hmm. like you know there's a time and a place for a band like Necroph necrophagist like they were great and like those two albums are, are great for what they are but there was a period in time in the 2000s where every new death metal band were these uber-technical death metal bands and just I just was so fucking bored and sick of just hearing all this neoclassical shit just played over and over. Um, but yeah, so when Ulcerate came out and groups like this, it was just such a breath of fresh air because, like, okay, this is technicality but done in a way to enhance mm -hmm. the atmosphere of the music. Agreed, agreed, totally. I really, you know that, that track Stillness, um, the acoustic bit reminds me of Jake's voice from Grave Lines. I mean, there's like loads of similarities with the delivery of the vocals. I really enjoyed it. It was like very melancholy and like sweet, honey-drenched kind of vocal sound. And then it's also like sad and like there's still like blackness around. It's still dark as hell. I love that. Do you know what? I shit you not. I was, I thought the same thing, but didn't write it down. No way. Because I, when I first heard the cleans come in, they, what they reminded me of was Nick Cave more than anything. Okay. I had a bit of that Nick Cave kind of qu qu quality about them. But yeah, on that track, yeah, 
especially there's a track that Grave Lines do, Love Displace, which I love. Yeah, I love that um, track. So good. I love Jake's voice in it. And um, it just kind of reminds me of that. It's kind of that honey-drenched kind of mm. delivery. And there's some really cool vocal work on this album, actually. You know, being a vocalist, I'm always interested by shit like this. And um, and I am convinced, he's not credited, but on one of the tracks, Howlin' Lands, um, I'm convinced it's got Steve Austin, not the wrestler. <laughs> Steve Austin from the band Today's the Day. Oh, I'm wow. convinced it's his vocals. That's interesting. Because it sounds so much like him and there's no vocals. He's, he's got this really frenzied, kind of frenetic shriek. Ah. Kind of a bit similar to the vocalist from Canate or Canate, however you pronounce I it. I don't know how you pronounce it. But, but it's that similar, really unhinged, like really deranged sound and scream. And I'm convinced it's actually Steve Austin from Today's the Day, but I couldn't find him credited. So maybe it is, um, maybe it is Mike Paparo, the vocalist, and he's just that much of a, a multifaceted vocalist. He's just a cool guy. Um, that's really interesting. I really liked the lyrics, as usual. Yeah. Um, it's the lyrics section of the podcast. Skip ahead 10 seconds if you don't like the lyrics. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really enjoyed like... Um, so the thing I took away from the album was that there was a lot of stuff about landscapes. It was less about people and more about landscapes and like introspection and the, and the self. Whereas... Because at first I was like, oh, this reminds me a lot of Black Sheep Wall because there's that, that kind of same kind of self-hatred thing going on. But Black Sheep Wall was, I feel, more about like relationships with others and like place and time whereas this it seems to be more about this is more Cormac McCarthy-ish this is more about like the the surroundings and how the surroundings inform the self and how they like reflect how you feel as opposed to them making you feel the way you do which is kind of more modern black sheep or oh my job's fucking killing me shit um and I really liked the track I think it's called Citadel um because the whole thing was kind of using the the metaphor of the city but like the buildings of the city, like the shape of the city to kind of encapsulate repressed emotion of loss and failure, like the empty buildings being the emotions you've never been able to convey and how they've decayed inside you. And now you're like this stagnant, empty, abandoned city. Um, So I'm going to read the lyrics and um, not all of them, but this is, this is the bit that I really, I found interesting because at the time it was pretty much how I felt. So um, he says, Can I shake free the detritus of these countless vagrant years? Can I harness the wild flame that lays dormant deep within? Shall I wander endlessly through houses turned to graves, a stone in the eye of humankind forever at bay? Hold captive, held captive by untold wounds of corporeal and psychic roots, aloft in a storm of unseen anguish where joy and sorrow entwine. A fire burns deep in the citadel of my heart. I will break free from captivity. I will weather the storm. I will shake free from detritus. I will harness the wild flame. So that was pretty fucking badass. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really like, it's actually kind of inspiring because it's so bleak. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. It's so, it's poetic. I feel like he wrote the lyrics before he sang the song because sometimes when you're trying to write vocals to the music, you can't have as long sentences, but the way the, the vocals are delivered, I feel like this was the message before the song was necessarily formed fully in a way. Um, I always find it interesting when you feel like you can insert lyrics into the song because there's a point, a point where a song is written where you're like, ah, oh, now, I, now I know what the song's about. And I wonder if this was... Because I know, like, I Hate God write the lyrics before they even... Mike Nine writes before he even hears the songs. He just has all these lyrics, right, ready to go. But I feel like this is... He heard the music and he was like, this is a vast city. 
the city is full of these empty cells and making you think like it's really interesting because like I'm hitting 30 and I'm thinking about the vagrant years the detritus of the countless vagrant years can I harness the wild flame that lays dormant within it's like what am I capable of like how how have I how have I done things like is this is this what it is is this what I can do or or am I like not doing am I am I not harnessing the wild flame how do I break free from the detritus and I feel like that's probably a very universal feeling so it's really interesting how beautifully that's been captured in this like very modern piece of essentially art this music um that I would never have expected to find in in this album when I first thought about it yeah no I think that was really well said and you know it's um I think that feeling is quite synonymous with a lot of people reaching their thirties. Because by no stretch of the imagination is is it a fucking old age. It isn't. No. But I think for a lot of people, it's a real first mark towards adulthood. Because I think there's a lot of societal expectations of yeah. a lot of things you should have done by thirty. Exactly. So I think you know, much it's a milestone in that regard. And I feel like almost people in their forties and fifties are a bit freer because I think yeah. they've realised that. You know, I think when, every time you reach a milestone, you always look back in hindsight and think, oh, God, why was I so concerned about shit back then? Yeah. And no doubt we'll probably do the same when, when we're 40 and be like, oh, what, well, why was I so worried about hitting 30? Like, you know, it's just... And I think, I think that is maybe uh, kind of integral to um, achieving what it is you need to achieve is just kind of breaking free of the shackles yeah. of these societal expectations at time and thinking, you know, everybody's got their own journey and got to take it at their own pace. And as long as I think people, as long as I think you're passionate and driven towards something, that's the key, really. Yeah, it's interesting, because the song kind of says what you're saying too, in my view. He's like saying that we're held captive by untold views, untold wounds of like psychic and like the roots, sort of like trauma, the roots of what we are, you know, you're, you're literally your own worst enemy. We're always holding ourselves back from doing things, sometimes for good reasons, like not just like screaming and taking off our clothes and shitting on the floor in public, but also <laughs> doing, not that I would particularly want to do many that. Many a time, especially on the central line. Oh, so the central line, This yeah. line is unbearably warm. Let's make this fucking hell for everyone else. I'm going to shit and stop flinging it. Stop Planet of the Apes sing. Yeah, just go full Freud on the central line. Um, it's going to be an indie band by the end of the day. Um, yeah, like, I think this is, like, a really beautifully crystallised, um, like, piece of work where it's really capturing that emotion. I, I happened to listen to it at the exact moment where I was going through the same motions in my head. And, like, I agree. Like, I don't, I don't find it that important. Like, age is so bullshit. And I'm aware of all this bullshit societal expectation stuff. Like, for God's sake, we're musicians. Like, of course we don't, we don't find it as important. But it's still, it's hard to not still have those thoughts. Yeah. And hear, like, the disappointed father in my head um, being, like, you know, all, all the stuff that I've definitely done that's disappointed. But then at the same time, you know, you're always going to disappoint someone. There's always going to be someone who's like, you didn't do enough, you didn't do well enough. And it's really important to, like, ignore that shit. But, yeah, at the same time, it's hard. Like, don't beat yourself up for feeling that way too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really good point. I think that's the, that's the trick, really. I think too many people confuse self-disappointment with the disappointment of others. Yeah. I think it's easy to inherit the disappointment of others and take that as your own disappointment in yourself. But I think if you are true to yourself and know what things you want to achieve, if that's what you hold kind of steadfast and true to, then, you know, you shouldn't really give a shit 
if yeah. other people are disappointed. I mean, obviously it's different if you're in a relationship and stuff and it's your, yeah, your partner different. and obviously you've got to respect boundaries and that's, you know, part of, that's the challenge of relationships, right? Is, is trying to fucking coexist with someone. Yeah. But um, it's, it's all about balance, you know. That's like my fucking, that's my, when, I, when I'm stuck for words, that's my go-to phrase. It's all about balance, man. <laughs> We're trying to achieve balance. Yeah, it's fucking, just applies to everything. <laughs> it's true. It's just it's a very good way of looking at things. And I think the bit where we can sometimes get lost is, is um, understanding what is balance. Sometimes we get, things get extreme. Yeah. And people get lost in, in extremities and we don't, I think with metal, sometimes we don't realize how extreme something is or how unextreme something is at the same time. Like some people think they're being super fucking edgy, but really they're just like, it's not that, that edgy all the other way around. They think that's like, it's just normal to, you know, um, go on stage and like cut yourself and throw blood around. I don't know. It's, that's not a very good example, but maybe someone out there knows what I mean because clearly I can't, I don't know it well enough to express it well. But this album, I think, definitely captures something really special and captures something quite universal that is, like, relatable for a lot of people in a really cool way, in a really unique way. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've, I've always held this band in high, high regards and it's, and I heard of them just because everyone was waxing lyrical about them when... Um, Roadman? When, when sorry? Was it Roadman? No, have they played the road band? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have. Shit. Yeah. I saw them at Damnation. Oh, good. And they were amazing. And that riff in that track, Citadel, which the lyrics you quote from, is so fucking heavy live. It's it was so unbelievable. Heavy. The sound's always quite good at Damnation. Um, but no, um, I remember when, um, just, I think when Sky Burial came out. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Such a good album. And it, it was on the top of everyone's end of year list. So I was thinking, okay, I've got to listen to this fucking album. Everybody has gone on about it. And I was like, okay, yeah. This is great. And it's like, you know, um, Shen, he discovered a great group, fucking a real hidden gem, Disembowelment. Oh, man. And, like, you know. <laughs> that fucking rules. <laughs> there's certain albums and bands like that that are just fucking ingrained and etched into, like, the pantheon of legendary bands in the underground scene. Mm-hmm. And Interarmor have done this about five fucking times with their releases. Each album has its own unique stamp. And I think it's part of that uncategorizable presence in their music that is what makes it quite attractive to me. Because I've always liked bands that can mesh different elements of different subgenres. It's like um, even the um, oh fuck, I've got the Suffering Hour. I wrote a review about them on that week when we didn't have any content because obviously we were busy with life shit. Mm. Like such a great band, and so I've never heard a band so perfectly meld like the worlds of black metal and death metal into like a such a coherent blend and but this group does it with so many different types of music and it's just so totally unique to them and that's what i was trying to get with the gore guts comparison as well like gore guts are their own entity you know like when they dropped obscure like people well one people fucking hated it at first but like that album bands like demolic with nespice disembowelment there's so many bands in the extreme scene that like Kathia Aflame one of my favorite albums of all time you know they drop a few legendary albums and then they kind of just disappear into obscurity mm-hmm. whereas I think Interarmor have done have released those albums multiple times mm-hmm. which I think is pretty unprecedented so I fucking love this group yeah they're they're fantastic they're really fucking heavy yeah. it's exactly that kind of like heavy despair that I absolutely adore oh um, yeah yeah I don't know why <laughs> I don't know if it's like masochistic to just enjoy hearing your despair reflected back at you or if it's somehow comforting 
It's like the plantasia of depression. I don't know. But I think that's what sets apart a lot of kind of like deathy, doomy... I read an interview where they hated being compared to doom metal, so I'm not going to... Because <laughs> it's true, there's not much in their music that really is like traditional doom. It's only like doomy, I guess. Yeah, it's like yeah. more, yeah, like more gloomy and doomy in the in the you know not in the in the genre definition of it. Yeah. Um, but there's so many bands mm. in that style. Like if and I like these bands. If you take a band like Who Did Menace, for example, who have that death doom style, and it's quite you know it's got that same claustrophobic and suffocating energy, but there's not as much emotion attached to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why disembowelment. Um, kind of hit a nerve of so many people because that had a lot of emotion and a lot of atmosphere to it, much in the same way that this music does. Like, you know, there's so many bands that do this style and it's either quite boring or quite monotone. Like, this isn't boring or monotone. Like, this is really, like, impactful. I agree. I think it's... I would love to see this live. I'd really like to see this live. I think it's interesting that they don't like the Doom comparison which is absolutely reasonable. I can see why they wouldn't. But then Windhand has, um, you know, had, like, well, Childers has done stuff for Windhand, which is super to me. Yeah. I really like that. And they're great. Um, they're, like, super, super dreamy, heavy, but nothing like Interama. So, yeah, um, that's Interama. Do you have anything, any other comments? I think I've said all I can say about this album. I mean, okay. I could go on and on, but I'll just be repeating the same shit. <laughs> I just say, I don't know if we're supposed to talk, but can I just say I think you absolutely killed it comparing them to Cormac McCarthy. I never thought about it, but that's so true. They literally have a song title which has Meridian in the title, so it was pretty easy to be like, oh, wait, hang on a minute. It's like the road. I think that's why I had that weird alien dream about like aliens turning us into pills. So sound really out of context in the podcast, but I'm pretty sure it was inspired by what, this What album. did you think of the movie? Oh, The Road. Yeah. Uh, have I seen them? Oh, it's got Viggo Mortensen. Because yeah. I read the book um, when I was doing, I think, my GCSEs or my A-levels. So I read the yeah. book first. And the book is fucking grim and so gory. I think the book is way more depressing than the film. Yeah. The film was good. I like the basement scene. They, they pretty much nailed how fucking terrifying that is. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was intense. Yeah. 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 I've not read the book, but um, I've heard uh, similar observations to that, that the book is far more kind of uh, fucked up. I think there's, there's more grim shit that happens in the book that yeah. they just could not put in the film. Yeah. Which makes sense, you know. It's just like you've got to make it somewhat palatable for a Hollywood audience, right? Oh, uh, for sure, yeah. Um, and even the watered down version was still like, I think most people were saying, yeah, okay, this film's too bleak. It's, it's so bleak. a lot of people were saying it was too depressing, but I fucking loved it. It's a one time watch for sure for me, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah. stuff like that. I mean, I remember I read Train Spotting at the same time, and I will never watch the film. Yeah. Even if it's less depressing. I was depressed for six months after reading Trainspotting. I've not seen it or read it, so but I don't know the premise of it. But The writer is fantastic. Like, it's an yeah. incredibly well-written book, and it really is so... It feels so real. Like, I've known people in real life who are like the people in that book, and it's just so... Oh, it's just yeah. so... It's too close to the bone for me. I think if you were, like, some middle-class person that's, like, never had to hang out with heroin addicts, you'd probably enjoy it, but, like... No, fuck, fuck that. Absolutely fuck it. Yeah. Very good book. Don't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, it's, um, we're going back to Sulfur English quickly. Just a couple more points I want to make quickly before we move on. Um, just, I think the drumming is excellent on this album. I was going to say that too, actually. I did it's, make a note. It's, um, it's very varied, very varied, very, very. <laughs> um, and you know, there's, you got tracks like a, a Waxen Sea, the first track, which has got like, you know, that 
tribalistic tom style drums that neurosis likes to employ and a lot of their slower builds sort of tracks and and he proper goes for it live like he is all over the shop it's a, it's a sight to behold wow like it's proper like it's got a really ritualistic and quite hypnotic quality to i it love when you watch that it neurosis style yeah. yeah does he sing at this does he sing often because it says he does vocals but i don't know how much vocals he does with the drumming she i didn't notice it okay was, maybe it was he doesn't on, do it so much live yeah it was um because they were on quite early on in the day, and it was the um, so you've got the you've got the different stages at Damnation. You've got the main stage, which is the long, narrow one, which is fucking impossible to get at the front. <laughs> I've only been I managed to get to the front, but I had to sit through like it was for Electric Wizard, so I sat through like three bands beforehand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're in the um, I can't remember is it the Eyesore stage? Try and remember the name. Of it. I don't remember. So the they've, names. they've got the secondary stage, which they've changed name from. I'm sure it was a Terrorizer stage at one point, mm. and I think that changed to the Eyesore stage. I don't know one of the other stages, but it was quite dark in there. I couldn't make out much but like he but what i could make out was i could tell he was losing his absolute mind behind that <laughs> kit and going for it but i didn't notice if he was doing vocals okay well fair enough um yeah i really like how the double kick is like used because again like a thing i say often with bands i like the drumming of the double kick is not overused and it's like used very sparingly and specifically to actively communicate something or evoke something within the music it's not just yeah. like i'll just do some double kick here it's not yeah. like that um and yeah this is oscillating kind of thing that goes through like an undulation of like some like building up and then going back down then building up again there's yeah. lots of that and it's it kind of goes into the whole like landscapey atmospheric kind of style of the album it does feel like you're looking out on this like broken shell of a city that's been abandoned in like an empty Cormac McCarthy desolate plane <laughs> post-apocalypse it's really like that to me yeah I think you uh, think it's spot on there sick shall we move on to the big mess that yes. is Danny Elfman 2021 all songs written by Danny Elfman yeah so I I was saying this a little bit before we started recording I knew fuck all about Danny Elfman other than he was the guy than the Simpsons theme. Yeah, same. And the Spider-Man soundtrack. Yeah. And he, he composed... Loads uh, of Willie, like, um, Tim Burton films. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Edward Scissorhands as well as the one. Beetlejuice, yeah, right? yeah. And it's like, obviously his soundtrack and um, composing resume is is Phenomenal. massive. Like, he's done so much. But I had no idea about this group Oingo Boingo and his... his <laughs> yeah. Same. His, his other pop sort of ventures and sort of traditional, not traditional music, um, sort of Popular. contemporary music ventures. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so this album was a massive surprise for me because, I mean, this is quite a heavy fucking album. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so uh, the main thing I got from this was like Devon Townsend, Mr. Bungle. I in, literally, the first thing I wrote down was this reminds me of Strapping Young Lad and yeah. just and like just some of the vocal lines, even Serge Tanky in at times yeah. in terms of like the delivery and that, how like frenetic a lot of it is. So um, much variation. It, it's like if David Bowie decided to list, start listening to really bizarre, hard guitar music and decided to release like a pseudo metal album. That's what this would sound like to me. Cause it, the vo his voice is quite similar to Bowie at times. Like it's got a Bowie and even a bit of a Nick Cave quality to it at times as well. It's an affected voice is what yeah. you call it, I think. You can, he's very affected. You can hear his like, there's so much like weird emotion. I, when I was listening, I was like, have you had a divorce or something? That's <laughs> literally, yeah. it sounds a bit, no. not in a harsh way, but like if I felt there was like a divorce energy to the album. No. Yeah. But it's, um, you've probably, um, 
picked up on this, but quite a few members of the um, of his team that he had working on this album were involved in Nine Inch Nails. I didn't pick up on that. That's sick. Yeah, so because I, I noticed because, well, I decided to because a lot of the people involved. So you've got Danny Elfman doing vocals, guitar, and synth. Mm-hmm. You've got Josh Freeze doing drums. Stu Brooks on bass, who formed a group called the Dub Trio, who meant to be a really experimental genre band and not listen to them myself personally. Cool. Uh, Robin Fink on guitars. Oh, that's a Nine Inch Nails original member. Oh, is it an original member? I believe wow. so. Uh, Neely Bro- Broche on guitars, and she's in a group called the uh, the Iron Maidens. Ah. Oh. And then Warren Fitzgerald on drums, who was a member of the group The Vandals, which I've heard of, but don't know any of their music. Same. And also a member of Oingo Bongo as well. Oingo Bongo. Oingo Bongo. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um Bongo. (laughs) No. I can't believe that we used to sell on Bongo in this country. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's something a bit. Oh, yeah, that was a bit. That was the the adverts were very sketchy. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I just remembered. Yeah, oh. pr- pretty sure Akala has like a little mention of that in his book, um, which I really recommend. It's called Natives. It's about class and race in the country. But yeah, Danny Elfman is fucking crazy. Like, well, I f- the first track, Sorry, is like very Devon Townsend. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, so this is going to be like the tone of the album. Then it's completely different. And yeah. then it changes again. And every single track is different until you get to Insects, which is the last track of many tracks. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, <laughs> apparently, Insects is a remastered Oingo Boingo track. Though, From like, 1982. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really, it's a crazy song. Yeah, it's just, it's just the lyrics. Uh, what was What's the line he says again that was... <laughs> He's like... <laughs> Which one? There's several very yeah. funny lines. It doesn't it just go like, I need sex. Like yeah. halfway through, it's just like, I need sex, insects crawling on my skin or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool, though, because it? It, it almost comes across as a very kind of stream of consciousness yeah. at the time, yeah. uh, which I think goes quite well with the music because the music itself, and which is a crazy thing to say because obviously he's an amazing composer, right? Mm-hmm. And you can hear that in a lot of the tracks on here, how beautifully composed and how... Some, especially with the string arrangements and the the uh, orchestral elements yeah, of some of the tracks. Yeah, amazing arrangement. Are, are great, but and but at the same time, it's just so bizarre to hear that juxtaposed. Juxta, I can't even talk. <laughs> juxtaposed. Juxtaposed. <laughs> <laughs> with such angular music, like it's just I would never have. You could have played this to me and given me a million guesses as to whose album this was. You would not say Danny Elfman. I would Elfman. not have fucking said Danny Elfman in a million years. Shall Maybe I? if I was familiar with his other shit, I might have done. So apparently he released a solo pop album that was really good and somewhat akin to this. But, yeah. Shall I read you the lyrics to Insects? Let's, let's do it. These are the lyrics to the song Insects by Danny Elfman. It goes like this. Tiny insects in my hair, tiny insects everywhere, tiny insects in my pants, watching insects make romance. Insects make me make me want to dance, dance, dance. They make me want to dance, 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 dance. Those insects make me want to. Insects crawling all around, insects squirm. I can't say insects anymore. Squirming in the ground. Insects gooey, squeaky, chewy. Should I eat them? No, I'd rather stomp them, stomp them, stomp them. While I dance, 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 they make me want to dance, dance, dance. Yeah, dance, dance, dance. They make me dance, dance, they make me dance. Oh, insects walking on two legs, insects fucking with our heads. Insects work is never done. They've all moved to Washington. They bite and sting and suck and suck. Bite and sting and suck, suck, suck. Bite and sting and suck, suck, suck. Bite and sting and suck, 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 suck. 
<laughs> I don't know. Why, why did we? F- what, what happened to the I need to have sex lines in a different song? song. Okay, to me, it was just this one. Do, do, do you think he had crabs? <laughs> was just like, <laughs> just really frustrated about it and just. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, this is a horrible, horrible thing to say. Um, so edit this out if it's like disgusting. But there's a band called Lords of Acid, and they have a song that is literally about having crabs, and the singer is like turned on from having crabs. And the song is describing them like crawling around their bits. And oh. she's like, this is great. And that's the song. And it's always just freaked me out. I could do you one better than that. It's um, in terms of disgusting band stories. Have you ever heard of the band Anal Blast? <laughs> that's not one of the anal bands I'm familiar with, no. no. <laughs> well, they actually had... Uh, uh, Joey Jordison used to drum. Rest in peace, Joey Jordison. Oh. Used to done some drum work for that oh, that's group. Cool. Um, but they had the main guy, Don Decker, this massive big sort of guy and this is apparently there's accounts of this happening at the shows whether it's true or not is did he shit thing. himself no but he used to apparently i could this could be complete bullshit I've, but i've definitely read this he used to ask the audience if any of them had any dirty tampons and then they used to eat the tampons i think i've heard of this yeah that is so that like that's so bdsm yeah that's I mean, horrific he, he's dead now not the bdsm's horrific but, well, so, I, mean, I wonder what happened I had liver problems. I think he was a big drinker, so I think his liver packed in. But yeah, anal blast, legendary. Anal blast. I mean, if, if you're gonna call your, if you're gonna be eating tampons on stage, surely name your band like Menstrual Stream, yeah. Menstrual Purge. I don't know. There's so many cooler. Like that's just not anal blast related to me. Nah, yeah. But rest in peace, um, Decker, Mr. Decker. Yeah, crazy, just Oof. wild. That is that is not. Ugh. God. But should we go back to Dan, Danny yeah, Elfman? Danny Elfman's in sex and fucking. Um, yeah. No, woof, it's, um, yeah. So, I was just, yeah. So the one track, the second track, True, sounds like mid-era corn to me. Yeah, it does. I was just like, fuck, is this like a deep cut off of like Untouchables or something? Like, what the fuck? Like some industrial kind of like corn track. Like, there's so much wild shit going on here. But overall, I think my one criticism was it's pretty long. It's so long. I did get kind of bored and have to go back. Like one hour and 12 minutes of this was a lot to digest. Um, and I know that's fucking really hypocritical because I've just been talking about how people don't give Interarmor enough time because their albums are too long. But like... (laughs) But the songs are like three minutes each, so it's too much different stuff happening. Exactly. I think there's too much going on. And I think, you know, it makes sense when you... Because I was reading about um, just sort of the creation of the album and he himself was saying that... um, he originally had written two tracks. I think Happy and was, Sorry. Sorry. It was yeah. going to be um, premiered at the Sundance Festival, I think. Yeah, was it with Oingo Bongo and then they, they broke up or something? Yeah. Yeah. And then he said he just started writing and then just couldn't stop. He had so, 18 tracks. Yeah. So I think this is just the stuff he couldn't cut, basically. Yeah. 18 is a lot. It'd be really difficult to write 18 whole songs and have to like choose. Yeah. I can't do that. I write five and I'm like, okay, this is the album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I reckon that seems to be, you know, judging by the lyric, the lyrical content and the vocal delivery and just the nature of the album, it really is just, like I said, just kind of like a stream of consciousness. He was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to record some music and just see whatever, whatever the fuck happens, I'll just release it. And that seems to be what's happened. It's like it's, pandemic ravings. Yeah. Yeah, but I like it. It's actually really cool. I actually love the album cover. It's so visceral. Yeah, it's quite a good album cover. It reminds yeah. me of, um, there's a really... Um, uh, kind of, they're actually quite a good gore grind band. The one of the few ones called Lymphatic Phlegm, mm. and they've got a similar album cover, which is like it's like a you know those um, cadaveric dummies that a lot of people studying that field would 
like observe there's like that's what this album cover kind of reminds me of it looks like kind of one of them it's quite oh i know what you mean yeah but to me it reminds me of um like rodan's thinking man statue ah yeah 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 yeah. but then like it's like this weird resiny like the texture because it's so high res the texture of the skin looks like wax and resin and it's got danny elfman's tattoos on it as well so it's got to be danny elfman i guess and yeah there's like a sense of movement like this futurist kind of movement stuff going on and yeah, when I saw the album cover, I was like, what the hell is this? Because someone, I think I was just like scrolling on Instagram and I was like, wow, the album cover's sick. Which band is that? Oh, it's Danny Elfman, the guy who did The Simpsons. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah. yeah. And it just kept popping up. So I was like, okay, I need to like work out what this is, what's going on here. Like why are all these like crazy cool doom metal people sharing this album? But I, I think it's quite cool because I think, you know, um, much in the same way Trent Reznor opened a lot of doors to, I think, sort of metal alternative fans appreciating classical or soundtrack music for what he did because he won an oscar right yeah he did the social network didn't he i was out with i couldn't remember the film he did yeah but that Mm -hmm. rings a bell now um i think you know danny elfman's kind of doing the same thing maybe he might open that sort of door to people that are fans of his sort of compositional works to kind of yeah the other side of the fence because how many fucking (laughs) how many fucking studies have you read Saying, oh, well, yeah. t- we've, we've, you even know what I'm going to say, right? I know exactly well, what you're going to say. I'm going to fucking say it anyway, just for reference. <laughs> but like, oh, you know, it turns out that classical music and heavy metal have the most in common, you know. <laughs> it's true. So, and it's true, it's but true. like, yeah. it's, I don't need to read another article about that. I've been reading it for the last two fucking decades. We are the article longer. now. We are literally just the thing happening. Yeah, it's... But Danny Elfman's history is interesting musically. So he went to Africa for a while. Oh, no way. He traveled Africa um, and like learned a lot about the music, like the drumming and the and like that aspect, which I really like about his music because his style is very different to a lot of other Hollywood composers. And I totally respect people who like them, but I don't. So I'm not a huge fan of a few of them. I'm not a huge fan of Hans Zimmer. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Because he recycles the majority of his hooks. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's fair. It does annoy me a bit. I don't like repetitive music. Yeah. The only repetitive music I like is minimalism, which is like Michael Nyman who did... Um, there's Michael Nyman and another guy. They did this. He did the soundtrack, I think, for a beautiful film called The Piano. Um, if anyone's ever bored, check it out. It's so fucking beautiful. And it's like repetitive in a hypnotic way as opposed to a... How I feel sometimes is that I don't know what else to put here away or I'm kind of having a bad day, so I'm just going to use this soundtrack from... Yeah. yeah. Is, is it Morricone? Morricone? Ennio Morricone. Quite, yeah, he's, he's quite good. minimalist, is he not, sometimes? Or? Um, minimalism sure. is like uh, repeating... Oh, I sound like a fucking ass. I did it at a GCSE, so I'm not actually that intelligent. But um, in, it's like a musical genre from, I think, the 50s that started with, I think, John Cage, and then it was him and then someone else, and it kind of shifted in these two different genres. I've forgotten the other one. So I think it was something either morphed into minimalism and then or minimalism morphed into something else, and that is, like, the soundtrack of the piano, which, I, yeah, it is Michael Nyman, Oh my god, it's fucking beautiful! But it's literally just like the whole soundtrack is like five notes, yeah, and they're just repeated over and over and over again. And there's like very slight variations, and that's the whole thing. So that's like you wouldn't have anything else going on. It's very minimalist. Yeah, yeah. That kind of reminds me of just, and this is going to sound a bit weird, but you know that Kanye West song you've done? That's just that one piano key. They've done like an orchestral version for um, the Westworld TV show. It's. Mm. um, but it's it's yeah it's just like a couple of notes but it's just actually really effective and i was just like oh that's what just kind of remind me of that that's probably what it it. is because i think 
it's literally just you're repeating very small units of, of music and there's like very slight variation. So you have this like hypnotic aspect. So the majority of modern music now isn't very minimalist, yeah. but minimalism was like a very important kind of like development in modern music in like the 20th century. Yeah. And it's informed definitely all those composers because film music is definitely inspired by minimalism, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, no, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. The, um, the uh, what was the name of the thing you were It's asking? just literally called The Piano. The Piano, yeah. So, it, like, don't, don't get it mixed up that. with The Pianist. Yeah. Because they're both very good films with very good yeah. soundtracks, but The Pianist is about, like, a Jewish composer. Oh, it's Adrian Brody, right? Yeah, yeah, it's such a good film. I love it. Yeah. And then The Piano, again, also a very good film. Yeah. <laughs> but it's different. It's like um, New Zealand indigenous kind of um, racial stuff. But then, oh, God, beautiful soundtrack. Really cool soundtrack. What's your opinion on John Williams? He's kind of seen as, like, the guy, right? I mean, I'm not familiar with a lot of this music. but I, I just know. don't... I don't care for the majority of film music yeah. film music i think works in film but outside of film i very rarely will listen to a soundtrack i only used to listen to one regularly it's james horner who'd done like titanic and lo loads of other um done a lot of james Cameron stuff he'd done avatar as well but he'd done this great film called glory which is about a civil it's about uh, a battalion within the civil war and it was predominantly a, um, an african-american battalion and matthew button's character gets um, a lot of flack for leading this battalion mm -hmm. and because of all the racial tension that was going on at the time. And it's, it's actually a really good film. It's got like Denzel Washington, said uh, Matthew... What's his name? Matthew... McConaughey? No, Matthew... Is, it, is Button his name? Fucking Bunsen? The one who used to be married to, to Kate Winslet? I don't know. What's the film called? Glory. Glory. It's got Denzel, got Morgan Freeman... Great film. He's pulling that shit up. Yeah, pull I will, that shit up. I've just been corrected. The Pianist was directed by Polanski, who's a rapist, so don't watch The Pianist. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Uh, yeah, do you know, I, yeah, I actually knew that as well, but for some reason I didn't make the connection. Oh, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't know buff. that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that about yeah, the director. Polanski's, yeah, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, anyway, the soundtrack to Glory is amazing. And But James Horner, I don't Glory. think you'd like... Imagine pitching the film Laurie to like all those actors. <laughs> but it's, um, I don't think you'd like it because it's a little bit, he's quite similar to Hans Zimmer in the way okay. that he uses a lot of the same motifs and kind of like musical refrains. Oh, Broderick. Broderick, yeah, what did I get a button oh. for? I don't, know, I don't know, Benjamin Button or something? Oh, Matthew the, Broderick, that's his is name. Is he the brother of the other guy? Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I will say, you know, I'd love to do an episode on this film because it's a very good film that we could we could do like a if you up for it anyway. It's a cool thing to talk about. There's loads to talk about, but Dead Man, I was gone about it. That Neil Young improvised the whole soundtrack in one go, and I'm, like I'm game, yeah, it's such a good film. It's one of my hands down favorite films, and there were no rapists involved to my knowledge. So, oh, yeah, cool. No, yeah, I'm down for that. Let's do it. Uh, I've got one quote here from the man, Mr. Elfman himself. Oh yeah, uh, in relation to this album says it draws on a dystopian palette of distorted electric guitars, industrial synthesizers, and orchestra in an effort to exercise the demons brought about by four years of creeping fascism and civil rot. Wow! I love it. It's an anti-Trump album. Well, it is, because you, did you catch the Trump um, quote that was sampled in one of the tracks? Which one? It was, just give me a second, and I will find it, because I had it written down... Was Which, in the um, you can half. edit this down if it takes me like a minute. No, I've got it. On the track, Choose Your Side. That ah. has a Donald Trump quote, which was, it was him. I think he said, like, oh, if something along the lines of everybody's, this is a good day for everybody. But he said that it was on a day that I think it was during a speech which was given 
during the memorial to the whole George Floyd situation. Oh, for fuck's sake. I was just like, well, you can't say it's a good day for everyone. <laughs> His family oh, is sitting at home. What a dickhead. Fucking, but, you know, so yeah. I think that that, that quote I, I just quoted from Danny Elfman himself is probably most kind of prevalent in this track here. Because it's got, like, this track itself is quite a heavy one. It's got some pretty, like, pretty fucking visceral guitars in it, as does quite a lot of tracks on this album, actually. I'm surprised at how heavy the guitars are. Mm. and just the instrumentation in general yeah the vocals are heavy too at times there's a lot Elfman's got a lot of control over his voice it's very impressive yeah and yeah exactly because you know there's a lot of range as well because the next track We Belong which is you know one of the more rousing tracks has got a lot of orchestral elements to begin with and you know his voice in that track really reminds me of Leonard Cohen mm. who's one of my mum's favourite sort of singer-songwriters you know Leonard Cohen's often described as more of a poet than a singer because yeah. of just you know this his kind of narrative style of singing I need to listen to more Cohen because I've read some of the lyrics and they're beautiful yeah I think that's like where most of like the strength of the music comes from is just his his lyricism and how he evokes emotions and but I kind of grew up listening to it and it was funny because he was always that guy you would always be well not chastised but he says you like Leonard Cohen but oh why do you like that depressing shit so much and I was like what? I've always found his music always quite uplifting personally maybe that's why we like Interama yeah that's true I mean I've always yeah in fairness I've always found music which might bum some people out to be just really cool and I like listening to it makes me feel better yeah I know what you mean though like sometimes so knowing that someone else feels the same pain as you, you feel less lonely. You're like, yeah. oh wait, this is this is okay. Like I'm not just the only person in the world who's having a shit day or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is a really impressive album. Like I'm so. It's just really cool that this. Like I've always liked Danny Elfman. I used to play the Simpsons theme on the tra- on the saxophone <laughs> when I was a kid. So nice. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I can do like my favorite. TV show intro, and then I didn't know he did like the Desperate Housewives TV oh, no intro. Way. He's done like so many things, and obviously like the Tim Burton films yeah. um, that I grew up loving. So he's just, I'm really impressed by it. It's like a really pleasant surprise, and I'm glad that he's like you know a Trump hater as well. Yeah, that's kind of a relief. So it's um, it's an interesting album to have on the back of Plantasia, and then also on the back of Igor and Magma and all those other bands. I think it's like definitely the more experimental fringe side of, of alternative music yeah and you know like i've said before you know i'm all for more experimentation and kind of people stepping outside their comfort zone and just trying to produce i think because it's it's you could tell with all these all those people you just mentioned that they're not i think overtly trying to create something that is unique for the sake of being unique yeah like it's coming from a place that is genuinely, even Zio and Arda as well. Like, you know, it comes from a place where, you know, the, this is just the music that you want to create. It just happens to be really fucking out there and experimental. It's interesting because Elfman, so Elfman started doing music. So basically when he returned from Africa, it was the early 70s. And his brother was part of like um, like a troupe, a performance troupe called the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. So obviously when they disbanded, yeah. it became the band Oingo Boingo. But his brother was in it and he asked Elfman to help him as a musical director. So Elfman started directing, composing, arranging music, like a lot of 20s and 30s jazz and big band music for a troupe of like over 30, 30 instruments um, yeah. at like quite a young age in the 70s, like the heyday of experimental music. So he lived 
this shit he lived all those albums that we've been looking at like the older ones yeah. so to him that was like normal it wasn't like oh like they're doing some weird shit again it's like this is it's really Danny Elfman and I think that's really cool he's like the product of what happens when you get all that music like compositional classical composer knowledge and ability which is so rare because like composing and arranging is fucking difficult especially for all these different instruments and tunings and making sure everything's, you know, you have to have an understanding of music that is, like, three-dimensional in the way that Igor is three-dimensional. Yeah. Where you you have to understand, like, dynamics of every single part of the orchestra to the extent that you've got to understand the dynamics of, like, the first violin and the fourth violin, and they're all doing different things. Yeah, And yeah. the same with, like, every other instrument in, the, in this entire room of people, and that, that creates, like, so many more textures and, and things you can do as well as a musician. So I think you've really hit the nail on the head there because he himself in an interview said that the big mess is him. He is the big mess. That's the, what I took away as well. Yeah. Yeah. And like you listen to it and it's like, yeah, this is just, this is just him. You know what I mean? It's just, this is just the shit he wants to create. And yeah, yeah, it may, may go on a bit long, but hey, fuck it. It's what he wants to do. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Um, fucking totally not what I was expecting, <laughs> but like it was a pleasant surprise. It's like meeting a drunk guy at a party and the, he's so drunk that like they're just talking a bit too long, but you're still like, oh, this is an interesting person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good analogy. I guess. That's no, great. I loved it. And awesome. uh, another pleasant surprise in, um, in, in addition to all the weird shit we've been reviewing <laughs> recently. <laughs> it's a weird shit, um, Mumford Serpent Temple. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was great. I mean, do you have any other comments about uh, all the, the Mort Garson and the Interama and Mr. Elfman? No, just I think, think at the end of the day, um, I mean, the Mort Garson was just fucking, that was just wild. Like, once again, it. I have said this with every 70s album we've ever released, but I cannot <laughs> believe that that shit was floating about in the 70s. I'm just like, it's just so wild. But I mean, nah, it'd be, I enjoyed every album this week. I mean, and it's it's cool because Inter Armour are a group that I personally am very fond of and spent, spent a lot of time listening to. So it was always cool to intersperse that with two things I was completely unfamiliar with so yeah it's been a great it was a, it was a fun week for me i'm really enjoying like having contrasting like subgenres and sounds and and like yeah. moods within the the music it's like kind of fun to listen to them next to each other and then review them next to each other it's interesting yeah. it's i always think it's interesting how thins tend to link together without it ever really yeah like even with magma and igor like i wasn't even thinking about like it wasn't like i listened to magma so oh, igor would be really cool to review as well. I was just thinking, oh, it'd be cool to do an Igor album. And it just so turned out that there was like some obvious inspiration and connection between the two, like even down to like the made up constructed languages and stuff. Yeah. Like I just totally didn't even twig it. And yeah, it was so a, maybe, subconsciously, like... maybe I did. But, mm. you know, just shit like that. And even this album, you know, with, um, with us doing the Botanist album and now this album, you could totally see, you know, Botanist being a spiritual successor of sorts to sort of Plantasia, right? And, absolutely that's and, how i felt yeah the plant worship and yeah yeah that's so no, cool there's like a there's an academic called roland bart and uh it's gonna sound wanky but i enjoy it sometimes um where he has this idea called intertextuality which is the idea that all literature through time kind of has interrelationships where like literature essentially talks to other literature books will talk to other books not literally obviously not just hanging out in the library having a chat but like you can draw connections between like it's like six degrees of separation basically but within yeah. the realms of art and literature yeah. and you can totally find that in this kind of music as well in all yeah. kinds of music yeah yeah no very well said 
I guess. But yeah, thank you everyone for listening and watching. Feel free to give us some recommendations. Let us know what you think of the albums and music and our opinions if you want to weigh in on that too. It's been a pleasure. It's uh, it's, uh we're many episodes in now. What's this number number thirty coming up soon? No? It's around thirty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, thank you everyone. It's been a pleasure. See you soon. Goodbye. Until next time. <laughs>